Welcome to the Brand the Interpreter podcast. I am your host, Mireya Perez, and this platform is dedicated to sharing the stories of language professionals, that is, the interpreters and translators from around the world. This show aims to highlight not just the profession, but mainly the people behind the amazing work. These are your stories about our profession, and this is the Brand the Interpreter podcast. Welcome back, language professionals from around the world, to a new episode of the Brand the Interpreter podcast. This is Mireya, your host. Thanks for joining me today. In case you missed it, I had a YouTube Live with Cindy Rote on Thursday, October 27. The video is now uploaded to the YouTube channel, so feel free to check it out when you can. Also, make sure to mark your calendars for the next live event that will be taking place on Thursday, December 15th, 1-5-15th at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time with returning guest Yulia Spiroff. Join the conversation, head on over to the YouTube channel, subscribe, and then hit on the notify me button so that you can get notified of the upcoming event. Or head on over to the website at www.brandtheinterpreter.com and sign up for the email list. All right, and now on with the show. Daniel Tamayo is a bi-directional English-to-Spanish translation and interpreting practitioner and educator. He began his interpreting career in 1993 in the insurance and med legal sectors and now specializes in conference interpreting in the areas of economic development, public policy, finance, education, immigration, human rights, public health, and the environment. Since 2012, he regularly interprets at United Nations summits and conferences nationally and internationally, and most recently interpreted for various presidents of the Western Hemisphere at the Summit of the Americas. He also specializes in the translation and editing of technical texts in related topics. Daniel taught translation and interpretation at the University of California at Riverside, as well as in Cal State University Fullerton for over 13 years, and Spanish at California State Polytechnic University for about 10 years. He has served in the executive boards and committees of various national and California-based translation and interpreting organizations. He has presented regularly at several of their annual conferences and has conducted various training workshops and seminars for them over the years. Daniel is the owner of the California-based language services company, Global Tradu Language Services, and he's joining us today to share his story. So, without further ado, please welcome Daniel Tamayo to the show. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. I'm excited for our conversation. How are you? Thank you, Mireya. My pleasure. Um, I'm happy, very happy to be here. So great to have you. So Thank you. we'll Thank jump you. right into it then and get started with our conversation. Shoot, shoot. <laughs> Beginning with, share with us where you grew up and what a fond childhood memory is. Uh, okay. Um, I grew up in Ecuador, South America, in the one of the furthest west points in um well in the in the South American continent. 
and fun memories, the beach. It was a peninsula. So um, pretty much I used to live about um, five minutes walking distance from the beach, except in one direction. And fun memories. Uh, shoot, every, every um, well, it would be spring over here. It would be the, the equivalent or our or Ecuadorian, um, at least for that region of the country, it was a time to go to a beach, which was three months in a row um, that we would pretty much spend at the beach. And fun memories, uh, I must admit, it was um, after school. <laughs> so we would <laughs> we would go with friends. And um, sometimes even for, for um, or during exam period, we would dress up in suits. I went to, to a private um, Catholic school. And even then, we would go and we would walk. At that point, it was about 15 minutes to the beach. And we'll just uh, take our, our suits off and, and always, you know, had a uh, had shorts underneath. And we'll just go into the into the beach and just jump off um, what we call cyclonautas, which is sort of those uh, bikes that you pedal, right, at the beach. And, of course, pushing each other unexpectedly. I mean, that was fun. What can I tell you? Yeah. That does sound <laughs> the, like The fun. good old times. And a lot of sports. Um, I was into running. Um, played basketball, played soccer, um, not as good as I thought I was. Um, I, when I came to the U.S. at age uh, 15, 16, I, I came and I started playing uh, varsity also. So I was able to do soccer and I was able to do cross country. Again, I just love running. Wow. Do you recall if at the young age, still in Ecuador, you aspired to be something specifically when you grew up? Were you having that sort of aspirations in Ecuador? I I did not. Um, I knew I wanted to study in college. I mean, I knew that it was going to be um, knowledge related somehow. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have my parents um, always have handy a um, encyclopedia. So it was uh, Salvat. And I think it was uh, Salvat. That's uh, um, a Catalonian um, last name, Guacatalan. And... So it was in Spanish, but I do know that there's an English version of it, and I forget the name of it. I ran into it doing an, um, a school assignment. I was interpreting at a school, and I looked at it. I, yes, I, I, and it was like, wow, this looks just like the ones we had, but they were in English. And, and I'm talking about 35, 40 years later. Wow. So, yeah. Um, so that encyclopedia was uh, something that I used to play with and just Kind of like people do with the Bible, which I at some point I also did with the Bible, just at, you know randomly, you just open it and see what you find. And I just used to look at terms, and 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 then it was fantastic because they had five translations for uh, five different languages for whichever term was um, there. And that, aside from some priests, that that one in particular, but there were two that would always talk about the the. Um, the etymology, right? The root uh, of the words and always giving us uh, Greg, uh, well, Greco-Latin or Greek-Latin roots, then that um, brought me a lot of interest into language. So I thought maybe law, I had already seen that the relationship between the law and, and speech or, or uh, rhetoric, if you will. So I was thinking law, uh, economics, and but not as an interpreter. 
uh, translator, not yet. <laughs> At that young age, um, you were already you realized obviously there's other languages as you know your 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 eyes are seeing it written in this uh, uh, encyclopedia. You say, and right. you're are you interested or are you already getting into other languages in school or did that come later? See, I was born in the United States. I was born in New York. And somehow I felt that because of that, I had a God-given right to English. So I, so I paid extra attention, and I thought that I'll be naturally good. Simply, uh, there's no, you know, no scientific. <laughs> there's nothing to back that claim up. Nevertheless, I thought that 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 would be the case. That I would come to the U.S. and so come back at some point because my parents took me to South America when I was two, approximately. And then I stayed up until when I was 16. So um, so I always studied English, um, again, paying extra uh, attention to it. I came one time when I was seven. I stayed for about three months. That's the most that my aunt was able, the one who accepted me in her house. That's the most she was able to stand me. <laughs> Don't blame her. <laughs> uh, I probably would send myself, uh, you know, two weeks into it. But she was nice enough to to allow me to stay longer and um so i was able to 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 fast track my english i mean in the in the those few months that i was here mm -hmm. so that helped me um get get further with it now i came to the states i wasn't able to hear or to understand um oral english i mean shoot i'm talking about my, my listening skills at the time were probably um, at a 20%. I was very good at grammar. I got 98% on written tests um, the, at the school that I went to in high school. Uh -huh. But um, I was asked to listen to a recording and write a story about it. I would have written a, a, a decent story had I understood anything, but I hardly understood. To me, part of it was quality of the of the recording, but I know that... <laughs> But I, mean, I remember that I was like, wow, this is old. But still, <laughs> I, I couldn't understand um, much. So I was placed on, on English 1, even though I had already been working with English um, quite a bit. So that was wow. something else, trying now, to get myself you, out of that. <laughs> when you came to the States, was that, did you, where, what part of, of the States did you land in? Where'd to you California. Land? Oh, I was going to gonna say, I was going to be biased and say, well, maybe it had to do with which part of the U.S. and the English of the U.S., but okay, well then. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I came to California, um, that to that same aunt's uh, house in, um, yeah, I'm in Roland Heights. Few people know where, where that city is. And um, so I came to Roland High School. So, uh, so yes. What inspired your your move into the U.S., would you care to share? Um, I had this burning desire of studying at the U.S., at a, a university um, in the U.S. So to me, and I, again, I was, I was 14, 15, and I had always heard about U.S. universities and so forth. So to me, it was like, I have to go. My parents couldn't afford um, to pay for my education, uh, not at that level, not at, at a U.S. university. So I knew I had to come earlier, which is why I came at age 16, as opposed to 18, when I could have legally come. And, and so I, I, I knew I had to come early. Well, I felt that I had to come earlier, learn English, get a scholarship, 
and so I can make it into college, which was exactly what happened. With a year, though, that I had to wait because I, I couldn't afford to do it right away, even, even that switch. Nevertheless, it was it was worth it. I went back home. Well, I went to Ecuador and I, I worked for, for about a year. Then I got a letter of acceptance um, from three schools, but one in particular, uh, Cal Poly Pomona, was the one that I um, I felt closest to because that's where my aunt had gone. Sometimes we just, you know, I mean, it's a very good school. I, I love Cal Poly. And I taught there for 10 years afterwards. Uh, I'm a Bronco at heart, but I was accepted at other schools that probably most regular, you know, right-thinking people would have chosen. Wow. <laughs> Over Cal Poly. I, yeah. I also feel that, it, that, that, I mean, that phrase in itself says a lot as well because it only uh, highlights the fact that sometimes we, we make decisions based on what we know. Right. Oh, of, course, so, of course. Of course. Your your of course. aunt. It was it was familiar territory, and so familiar territory. That's why economics was was something that I considered mm. because to me, like like many immigrants, were thinking I cannot afford any long term thing. I need to, and and my first career was in business. As a matter of fact, my first BA is in business administration, and then a second BA, or uh, started working with economics, but immediately I. I was only limited by my 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 knowledge at the time. Again, I was 16, 17. Right. And and to me, I need to work, I need to make money. I cannot be a doctor. I cannot aspire to to anything much higher than that. Um, not at that age, not not with the resources I had at the time or the people I knew that could help me. But Daniel, I mean, you were here for for a year. What what is what is 15, 16? You're what like uh, did they place you in ninth grade? Were you sophomore high school? I mean, that was pretty. I, yes, I actually came to my eleventh, uh, to 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 my junior year in high school here. So I completed over there half of my eleventh, but I came and I retook it, and I did that voluntarily, even though I I had the option of just doing my senior year. Again, I needed to get, I mean, in my head, I need, uh, I was like clear that I need to get a scholarship. So I needed to prepare so I can apply. So I moved back uh, six months, if you will, approximately a semester, so that I can learn the language. And and, and that is, it's a, it's a funny thing. Um, just um, two weeks ago, I ran into the the person in charge of that program over 30 years ago i had never seen this lady again now this woman i met with uh, with uh, worked with for about a month okay so i come to the us i test i got 98% on the written part on the listening I couldn't understand a thing. As I mentioned, so I'm placed on on, uh, on English one, and I am placed on this club, this organization called New Americans Club. So I'm there with all these uh, minorities and everyone. And and at that point, I will never forget because we were learning to conjugate the to be verb. So mm -hmm. if you could imagine that, you already I was taking chemistry. I was taking um, algebra and another college-bound courses, but I was in English taking 
yeah, we're learning I am, you are, he is, and so forth. So I went up to this lady within a week, uh, Mrs. Connington. And I'm like, Mrs. Connington, please. Fortunately, she spoke Spanish. <laughs> uh, please, I need to, I need more. I need to be in another class. And, and she's like, you have only been here for a week. And I'm like, look, but I already know this stuff. I'm like, she's like, okay, we'll put you on um, intermediate level. So I'm intermediate level. I'm like, okay, cool. All right. So second week, I start intermediate level. And there, they were, um, the material that was being covered were irregular verbs in English. So I, I said, if I worked, right, uh, you know, go, right, go, went, gone, and so forth. And I had just memorized those in Ecuador. <laughs> but so I went back to her within a week. I'm like, I already know this. I, I, I have to go. And she's like, nope, you have to stay. I'm like, but please, you know, I really need it for college. I'm like, nope, sorry. You have only been here for two weeks. <laughs> so, you know, then I went back uh, another week, you know, a week later. I'm like, please let me out. And then she told me, okay, I'm going to put you in regular English. Sink or swim. The only thing you, you need to promise is that I'm never going to see you again. I don't want to see you again here in my office. And, and I'm like, sure. You know, and there I went to, fortunately, it was not a full-blown regular English class, but it was one for like heritage speakers or like a non-native, but it was still uh, regular. And I was able to read a lot and, and, and hear natural English. And, and, and that was very helpful. And then I was able to jump into regular English once in college. And so you met her? Suddenly you bumped into that? Suddenly at a supermarket. What'd you I tell her? Like, I was like, Miss Connington? This and doesn't she, count as seeing me ever again, right? Right, 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 right. Oh, we talked there for like two and a half hours in the parking lot, you know, oh. catching up. It was fantastic. She was telling me, because the lady was there, I don't know, like 50,000 years at that school. And she just retired a couple of them ago. Um, and, and I told her what, and sometimes... If anything, it's those pushes that, that may feel that, that we're actually being, I don't know, uh, mistreated or, or, or not trusted or who knows what. And, and, and again, back then, I thought this lady is kind of witchy, you know, like, yeah, I don't want to see her again. But she pushed me and she, she challenged you by doing that. She yeah. allowed me to move ahead. Most definitely. I believe the same thing. So I thank her for it. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know, yeah, and give, what, give what I find hug, you know. yeah. great about the story is that you had the opportunity to see her again, to be able to. Yes. Sometimes we don't get the opportunity to see those people that challenged yes. us or that uh, pushed us or believed in us to to thank them and say, because of you, I was able to get, you know, where, where I'm at or was able to whatever, fill in the blank, but that we don't always get that opportunity. So great for Even you. Though I'm not a big believer, believer in um, coincidences. Right. I told her, I'm like, wow, what a coincidence. And she told me, I don't think so. Oh. You know, and then and, and so, yeah, no, she's very insightful. And she was telling me how she thought about, I mean, the entire process about education. And I told her afterwards that, you know, 10 years teaching in one school, 13 teaching in another. And, and she's like, you know what? We need to take you back to school. And, and we need to, I need to talk to the school principal and, 
And, you know, more of our students need to know your story. Wow. That's cool. Great. (laughs) So wonderful. Best teachers ever. So you mentioned really quickly uh, earlier that you went for a BA in business and then later for economics. Mm -hmm. Bring us to the moment where you met with the language industry, because at this point, interpreting it doesn't sound like it was yet in, not even in your peripherals at, as a, as a profession, right? Correct. So bring us to the moment when it showed up in your life. I was at the career center at Cal Poly Pomona. I was taking, and I was doing that dual career in economics and business. And I needed a, another job because I had already been working. For the most part, I had at least one job uh, up to two and a TA ship. You're teaching at this point. Oh, no, I was I was a teacher's assistant. I was I was a TA for a law professor, and I was a TA for a Spanish professor. Got it. And um, aside from from a few jobs here and there, but I wanted something that, that would give me more flexibility. Um, you know, as a student, and I had a, started a club on campus. I was very active, and um, I ran into a job as an interpreter. I mean, I don't know if I at that point I was like an interpreter or a translator or what it said, but it was a um, language specialist with um, for an agent for New York Life Insurance. So an agent would come to our school, pick me up, take me to nearby cities to do presentations at companies uh, first to all the employees at once and then one on one with those who were interested in signing up for a policy. So I I started translating her written material and um, and communications and interpreting at different sites throughout Southern California. And that was in 1994 or five. Did that for a while? Uh, Yes, um, for two years. Okay. And then for two years, and and, and then I, um, she stopped. I stopped. I didn't think of. I didn't. Again, to me, the interpreter translation profession was not a thing yet. Yeah. I didn't know that that there was much else. You know, besides, so you didn't continue pursuing finding out anything more about interpreting as a profession after you were done with her. Not immediately, because one, I needed to finish my degrees, mm-hmm. and and by that point. I, as part of my, of my bachelor's in, um, in business, I had to get an area of specialization, which for me was, well, I chose Latin America. So I was getting a minor in Spanish and, and taking classes on, um, on geography, information on, I guess, civilization of the region. I was doing business right? Finishing that degree. And I was working on my degree for economics. And I was an active president, uh, founder, a co-founder of a club, Cultura, which, you know, we um, brought Celia Cruz, uh, um, the the judge Garzón, the one who was um, suing, uh, well, he was uh, with Pinochet's whole case and in Spain and, and British courts. And the interpreter for Fidel Castro. So we, we and, and, and that kind of like run an interpreter. So I, I was 
interested, but really the, uh, there was a breakthrough, which was a professor who um, told me, you know, I always see you involved in all these language-related things. Yeah, I know you study business, but will you be in interested in um, getting a master's in, in, in Spanish? You know, I direct a, a program, a master's at UC Santa Barbara. And I was like, hmm. So I started thinking about it. So after I graduated, I went to Ecuador. I worked there at a bank as a corporate loan officer. Um, and once I decided that that's not the route I wanted to follow, I did not want to do business per se. Mm -hmm. Then I started analyzing my potential options. So, and as I had mentioned, I realized I was not good enough playing soccer, music. I was kind of late. <laughs> I used to, you know, started playing guitar with some friends in, in, in college, but they had years of experience ahead of me. So I'm like, okay, I, I won't cut it with that either. And then I said, well, uh, uh, as, um, I love languages. I, I was good at interpreting, so I should look into it. And that's when I started going to ATA conferences and things like that. And that's how I got started. Really, you started going to ATA conferences as yeah, went to the first one. Once, wow, mm -hmm. that's amazing! Now, because you started doing your research and came across all of this, or did somebody introduce all of this information to you? No, I I, I asked. I, I don't know how because I don't think we had Google then. <laughs> yeah, that's um, what I was going to say. Right. Like, how do you how did you find yeah. out about this stuff? Wow! But I remember going to a conference in Las Vegas, and and I met some very interesting people. Some of them are still my friends. And um, so, yeah, that's how that started. But on the same token, now this brings me to um, to the year 2000. Right after I returned, I started working as a as a uh, customer service manager at a credit central for Sears, like Sears and Roebuck, mm -hmm. and I was in charge of about 25 employees directly, but I was also co-manager of the Spanish department. So I was listening to the quality of the calls and, and I was speaking to, to all these bilingual employees and so forth. So that was another in another thing, because then I was asked to, um, to translate some of their material. So I'm like, okay, so I'm translating. I am um, doing, um, you know, I was interpreting, if you will, for the non-Spanish speakers on the floor to Spanish speakers um, on the phone. And, and I'm like, okay, you know, I like doing this. I'm good at it. Well, I felt I was good at it. Now, if I compare some of my work then from uh, now. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> we I, could I, assess I, I ourselves. I would disagree. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sure that many others would too. And I wouldn't blame them. <laughs> and um, so that took me to the year 2000, which is when I, um, by that point, I was working at the budget office in the city of Santa Ana. And I'm like, this is not for me. Not, see, that was based on my economics background. Mm -hmm. So I was creating or helping create the budget document and all these interviews and things. I'm like, I'm not meant to be. So that's why I'm not, I edit uh, quite a bit. I, I translate sometimes but like full-blown trans I, I you know respect for for the colleagues that do that's not my thing that's why i tend to be more of an interpreter mm -hmm. um so that 
because of that, I searched for, for jobs, don't remember where, and uh, um, I found some interpreting openings as legal interpreters, as a legal interpreter. Now, as I had mentioned, I had been a TA for law professors. I had taken three different courses so far, and I had been working closely with um, one of them, kind of with the second one. Back in Ecuador, I followed in high school the track that it's meant for for those who go to medicine or to, to the field of medicine. So kibio, we call it, kimikobiolo. So we we'll, we'll study every day anatomy, physiology, biology, and chemistry. So I figure, okay, I have that background in, in, in medicine, at least you know, terminology. I, I have this background in law. I'm very interested in, in law. I used to read, you know, that book just for, for reading, for learning. So met legal sounded to me like, wow, the best of both worlds. So, and, and that's how I got started. And that took me to my, you know, eight years plus of experience as a met legal interpreter. What was your first experience like as an actual pure role interpreter, meaning it's not a dual role with another company that hires you as a bilingual, you know, insert the blank, uh, and then you happen to be interpreting. What was that first experience like for you? Did you get that adrenaline rush? First experience as a full-blown, 100% interpreter. I wasn't doing anything else but interpreting. It was as a met legal interpreter. And it was a it was a medical group that had different offices um, in downtown LA, Santa Ana, Long Beach, and Riverside, I believe. But I will go on different days to some of those um, different offices. And I, my very first one was in downtown LA. So I will never forget, it was with a surgeon, orthopedic surgeon. So I go in, I was nervous, very nervous, because, um, I mean, the guy would see patients in no time. He was really fast, very efficient, efficient uh, looking at it in, in, on a, under a positive light. But I also know that, uh, you know, he, like many, kind of, um, uh, say, potentially abuse the system and try to get many people at once and that sort of thing. And I really dedicated the time that he should have to, you know, per patient. But at any rate, and so I patient walks in, I walk in right behind him. And right off the bat, the doctor said, um, tells him, hi, how you doing in English? And so I interpret into Spanish. The patient responded, muy bien, gracias, right? Muy bien. And I said, very well, thank you, right? And the doctor looked at me. He said, bien, gracias. Bien means good. You should have said good. Thank you. And then he proceeded. I was like, oh, my Lord, man. <laughs> if I can't even, I mean, according to this guy, I can't get the greeting right. I mean, something as bien, I was like, oh, you know, hang in there. So, yeah. So, it was a, that was my first, my very first assignment as a professional interpreter. To top it off, right? I mean, you're already walking in there. I was already walking in, yes. 
Yes. And then you get that kind of encounter with the doctor, and those are the worst because now it's like, oh man, what's the rest of the assignment going to go like? Right. And it, it, it ended up well, but um, but then I, yeah, it was it was challenging, and it but it was also potentially good, right? Had it been good since the beginning or good towards the beginning, then I might have not felt as to to be more on my toes and 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 be more watchful of things. So potentially there was another lesson. I was just going to say, like many of times, I think that uh, during these, if not the first, the first encounters as a professional interpreter really sets the tone for whether we're going to like, you know, what we just delved into or dislike it. And so it sounds for you because of that challenge, right? It wasn't as easy, maybe as we right, thought, right? Like right. The, the transition of two languages and, you know, so what was that like for you? What did what did that set well, for you? Well, the thing is that as an interpreter for New York Life Insurance, I mean, insurance thing, it was better for me because it was more on the business end. True. So I, I was able to, to understand. I feel very comfortable with it. Mm. Still, though, because it was like uh, the setting was large open spaces. I was like projecting, like, like really speaking out loud. So on that, on that physical... Uh, emotional component it was still challenging right um but that one i mean and 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 i'm sorry but i need to bring this in right now just in case i forget and i don't have the opportunity to do so i realized as a med legal interpreter that medicine i mean the knowledge is so vast as much as i had learn and study at a time when I memorized things so much easier. See, back then, I and, I and I remember things from back there because of how well I was able to memorize them then. I wouldn't be able to do that now. Mm. So, and, and what I'd like to quickly mention is about how many colleagues tend to think of medical interpreting as a stepping stone or a catapult to move into other areas of interpreting, such as court interpreting, because generally it's a greater pay and or, or an ego thing. So, oh, so at times, and I understand that when we want to shoot for something that we consider higher, when to me, it's not higher or lower at all. It's a different type of interpreting under different constraints for different types of people following different protocols that deserves, I mean, each one of them deserve to be respected and to be treated as professionally as possible. So and 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 that was something that that I developed, which was high respect for medical, and I studied quite a bit. Um, again, fortunately, I had a base that helped me get there. But I know, and I know that many colleagues, former students, don't have that um, seriousness at times when it comes to, again, not just using it as a catapult for preparing for court certification, for example. That's a great point. Yes, I had a guest on here that um, a while back that did talk about how interpreting is interpreting, right? Like you yes. have your different specializations, but uh, the act or or you know just uh, the act of interpreting, it's still and it's still the same thing at its core. It's still the same thing. And, and again, if you do it right, right, no interpreting is easier than another. It's it it's a terminology you deal with. Yes, more acronyms, more studying, but it's more so depends on what you know. If you're an expert in a given subject matter, then all you need are the skills to do it. 
right? So mm -hmm. technically, it should be the same. Now, if you're seeing the same thing day in, day out, yes, that's going to be easier. Say if you get traffic court as opposed to, I don't know, federal court for for terrorist activities, you know, that, sure. that'd be more changes or in conferences. Well, it depends. Conference, is it a, uh, for a given product you're selling and, and it's just going to be a meeting of salespeople as opposed to a conference where you're going to have 70 plus countries represented and a series of different languages that you're going to have to do relay from. And, you know, so there are other challenges. And, and of course, you can't fully rely on technology to to do part of your work. No, yes, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. Always something coming up. Now, now, walk us through, Daniel, how you, the profession and you begin to evolve with one another. How does it get to the point where you've got, you know, a BA in business, another one in uh, uh, economics, and you now you find yourself in the world of, you know, languages and the language industry, but what you've been able to materialize and accomplish through the years in this profession is quite, I mean, it's quite a big deal, right? You 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 end up being a professor back in the schools where you started and things like that. So walk us through how that begins to occur for you. Was that intentional or was that a series of events that we can consider coincidences or not? <laughs> I'd say both. Um... Some things just happen, some others. But then again, it's kind of that thing of um, the harder you work, the luckier you get. <laughs> <laughs> sort I love of thing. That. It, you know, it's like, and to me, if I'm just sitting there, I'm an easier target, right? So I prefer to be a moving duck. And and, and that way I'm going to be harder to, you know, to, to get shot. <laughs> uh, uh, so I understood at some point that... Well, I, I was working my first, very first job um, in the U.S. was at um, at McDonald's uh, Corporation. So I was, you know, the the I was flipping burgers literally because I was in, in in that station, and I used to work very fast, very efficiently. Efficiency is one of the things that that, that I liked in general. So to me, being systematic and getting all these numbers right, and, and it, so I was, I was having fun. Mm -hmm. But um, I remember one day running because I was in a cross country team in, in 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 high school here. So again, I was it was very active. I was like running in and out. So very quickly, I went to the freezer, and there was a seventy two pound box of fries, French fries, that I pulled. Um, I was trying to pull, and it was um, it was stuck because of the, the 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 ice to to the to whatever surface it was on. And when I finally pulled it out, it just went backwards, and I hear a cracking on my back. So ever since it was, I has been a, a, an issue. Every now and then it returns, and I knew then. And something else that happened in the, my next job at a supermarket that the physical brute force was not going to be the way that I wanted to move forward. So I realized, and, and I remember it kind of like labeling it. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to dedicate myself to the business of knowledge. So, and that 
it's what kind of brought it all together. And then I realized that all that knowledge, the, the, the medicine, the law, the business, and all these things that I had not been able to bring together finally made sense. Uh, as an interpreter, I was like, okay, no knowledge is useful, and I'm getting paid to learn. I mean, how fantastic is this? Right. So, and, and, and about my body, well, I continue playing soccer. I continue doing activities whenever I wanted to, and I was enjoying it, not doing it for someone else. Mm-hmm. You, you evolve as an interpreter, as a professional interpreter with different opportunities. And at some point in your life, you begin to aspire for certain things. Yes. When it comes to the profession, Could, would yes. you share with us what those aspirations were? Well, as a med legal interpreter, I felt at some point I started feeling comfortable, right? I know the subject matter more so than the, the groups that I was working with, even though every now and then I was sent to an appointment with internists, uh, with um, acupuncturists. For the most part, it was related to uh, to work-related injuries. So after a while, now, during that since i was an independent contractor i was able to do different assignments so i was interpreting different um more i I guess uh like one-offs and by then i had started interpreting for some city council meetings that took me to even um downtown la to to the um, la city council los angeles city council and I was um, I was an in-house interpreter for for some months, and back home, my family, so uh, two of my my brothers, my mom, my uh, my dad, have all been city council members, and we all, I mean, we grew up talking, reading, watching uh, politics, economics, and th- that sort of subject matter. So I felt at home with that and i really wanted to to do more of that so to me that's that's when the conference part started calling me uh, i interpreted the thanks to a colleague um madeline newman rios who was the first one that opened the doors for me to the world uh, conference to whom i'm deeply grateful and, and forever i'll be grateful for that and for much more for what she does for the community too <laughs> um and i was able to bring together my my passion for um again business law politics uh foreign affairs because that, that was also coming into and the and the community I, we started with madeline we started working at a community level um helping undocumented immigrants um and 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 in the Pomona area, but anyhow, so I was doing that kind of um, work, and then I really started feeling that okay, this can definitely be. See, I, I, I think up until that point, I'm like, okay, this is good. I'm enjoying it. I'm good at it, or I felt good at it, but it's not necessarily what I want to do the rest of my life. Okay, mm-hmm. but at that point, I said I can because I I felt like okay, I'm being someone else's voice. You know, I need to have my own voice. Uh, the, the, this idea of just being a conduit, it just, it, it didn't seem enough to me. But then I, I just, one day it hit me. I'm doing everything I want to do. I'm getting paid to learn. I'm getting paid to help. 
and it's in subject matters that I deeply care about. So I'm home. That's so great. I love how how there's always this uh, point in our in our stories in which we we identify that if we bring in together all of the things that we enjoy doing, that there's actually potential in that joining of our likes, of our interests, that there's yes. Right. Like it's almost like that that meeting point of all our different uh, uh, likes and just not dislikes, but more of our interests that we say, this is where it's at. This is where I want to be. And that's when I stopped working. That's right. See, that is exactly. And I felt it. You know, I am no longer working. You know, this idea of people hating Mondays, it's, it's unheard of to me. To me, it makes no difference whatsoever what day it is. And I can interpret, not interpret, but I, to me, I, I love saying seven days in a week, you know, and, and yeah, some days are, are not as good, but it's not because it's a Monday and it's not because I'm going to work. See, to me, it's just, um, again, it's, it's helping, it's connecting with people. And, and that is the other component is I felt then, okay, my function is to communicate, right? To bring into a community. Right. And, and people that otherwise wouldn't communicate. Mm-hmm. So I felt that difference. And, and I started working in schools and, and helping children. I'm like, OK, that's the other point. I'm like, yes, well, by helping this child, I'm helping him or her, their family, future generations, the community. I mean, you name it. It's, it's a never ending cycle of, of positivity that we bring in by bringing down bridges. Someone by, opened sorry, the- by creating bridges to bringing down yeah. <laughs> miscommunication. Someone opened the door for you for conference interpreting. And so now you walk into, you know, it's it's just another door within this world of interpreting, right? Because we were just talking about the different specialties, yes. right? And so it's just another door. You walk into the store and now you you you're being exposed to a different specialization, perhaps uh, you know, different um approaches, technique, uh, you know, did you did you at some point realize that you needed to go back to school to do some you know, some more studying about this profession or, or when did that, what, how did that happen for you? So 2002, I, uh, sorry, 2000, I started met legal interpreting year 2002. I did, I decided that I needed to get more education because I wanted to teach in in interpreting translation. At that point I had decided, I knew that I wanted to teach. I wanted to share what I learned. But to me, you have to learn. I mean, you have to know why or what are the more intricacies of what we do. So that first took me to my first um, master's. I had already started master's in economics, um, just an FYI. Um, But um, about a semester later, I started a master's at UC Santa Barbara in um in spanish comparative linguistics english does this versus spanish you know so forth to understand better the translation process which is what i wanted to understand the most Mm. and that was the first step to solidify not just my practice because uh um now with a better sense of what we do and how to do it better linguistically 
that took me to teaching, and teaching took me to while continue continue to practice, which is another thing that I've always I had a professor in my economics masters, which I will never forget. He walked in one day. He was running late, and he told us, "Sorry, guys. Um, um, you know, sorry, I'm running late, but we were just negotiating Iraq's foreign debt." And I remember thinking, "Dude, <laughs> go. You know, just finish your business and tell us tomorrow how it went." So to me, and that's the type of professor, that's the type of teacher that I wanted to be. One that is doing things hands-on while you you, you teach about it. So very fresh sort of thing. So that took me to, to, again, professionalizing my practice. Because by then, once I, to my clients, to the doctors, to attorneys that I was working with, um, I would tell them, oh, yes, I, I teach this or I teach that. I have a master's in this. And I go, wow, so if there's a master's in, in, in interpreting, translation? Yes, and there are PhDs. So, and they're like, wow, they respect you differently, which brings me to the point of professionalization, which will, you know, I think I, we'll have a chance to, to mention at some point. So by that point, so 2002, I finished that, I started teaching while interpreting, 2007, I start interpreting um, conferences, and in 2010, it's the the big jump that the the final decision to solidify my well final till till now you know <laughs> I'm still alive, um, but it was to get my master's in interpretation and translation from the Middlebury now called Middlebury Institute of International Studies. So the the TNI program at Monterey, and that was specific to what I wanted, which was foreign affairs, interpreting at an international level. Mm-hmm. I had always been interested in that. Just what took me to the U.S. from being in, in a small beach town in, in Ecuador, and 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 my parents know this. I mean, I saved up to half of the money of that plane ticket that brought me here. So I really wanted to come, go to school, and experience something like this. So, so traveling, uh, but again, it's not just simply ah, because I don't do the resorts, the beach towns. I want to see the people. I want you know, to explore those cultures. So, getting an opportunity to to do that, it's what doing my master's in Monterey accelerated. Um, I, I want to believe that I would have gotten there um, by my own means had I not done it through the the institute. But certainly, it reduced the, the number of years that it took me to get there, um, to work at international level, as you may know. Um, but I've had opportunity to work at the, within the UN framework, um, mostly the UN framework convention, convention on climate change for many organizations, NGOs uh, throughout Europe, uh, Southeast Asia. Now, for about 10 years, I've been interpreting at the UN in New York, in Geneva, for WIPO, so the um, intellectual property organization. And um, so I have felt at home, again, traveling with a lot of people that that are colleagues that also believe in that. Uh, and in general, world leaders, people that want to make a change. And I feel that through my skills, through my abilities, I'm also making a difference just like they are. And that brings me to my last point in this, 
it's about the multiplier effect of this. So a lot of the people that are there in those spaces now are there to make a difference. So the more of those people that I help, the more of a difference I make. So that's a multiplier effect that I'd like to take advantage of and that I believe I'm taking advantage of. Wow, that was great. And, and I really appreciate how you mentioned that the opportunity to to do the formal studying and the formal education in interpreting uh, accelerated the opportunities. Yes, I'd like to right. believe that we can do that all on our own. But I, I, I do feel that that these experiences, particularly with formalizing the education part and the, uh, you know, and the training part in a formal way, because we can, you know, we can learn on our own and we can do this and do that. And, but I think once we, we, I don't know, when we make that decision to do the, the education part, which connects yes. it to yes. professionalization. Now, now I want to, want to make sure that I'm clear that I'm not in any way insinuating that we are not professionals or, or, or conduct ourselves in a professional manner if we don't have a degree in the area mm -hmm. of, you know, study, I, that is not what mm -hmm. I'm saying here, but mm -hmm. I do believe wholeheartedly, like you, you're talking about, um, you know, the knowledge aspect and how others potentially might see the profession differently, knowing that it is a formal area of study. Exactly. Well, see, they don't think that any one employee or bilingual employee of theirs can do our work if they knew. Oftentimes, you see, I, I don't blame. I don't blame that person that takes the job thinking that they can do it, mm -hmm. nor the person that gives it to them thinking that they can do it. So it's, again, it's lack of knowledge, uh, lack of awareness of our um, profession, profession, right? Of knowing. So it's, therefore, the more of us that get up, you know, out there professionalizing, and with that, Yes, could be via certification, but pretty much it's you have to prove it somehow. So either through studies, through accreditation, but I understand that, oh, yes, and I'm sure there are colleagues out there doing a much better job than I am, you know, the, the, doing the actual task of interpreting because they have fantastic memories. Um, they have a lot more experience or they have single-handedly just going at one thing and just master it. So I don't doubt that someone can do a better job than, than, than many of us, but somehow we need to prove it. And, and again, through education, it's one of them. And in my case in particular, and this goes for those colleagues that are out there training others, that we need to know what, we're, what we do. I mean, we need to study the, the actual um, intricacies of it. I mean, the, the theory, you cannot be, I understand as a practitioner, you can do away with theory. You can do without it, I should say. But as practitioners, you know, I see a lot of colleagues that, that well, fellow trainers, they have been out there fresh out of um, school and then they get out there and, and start teaching. I'm like, what can you really teach? Yes, you have some theory. You can you can take some notes and you took some good notes. And, and I'm sure you know, some of that material is going to be very good. Um, someone created it at some point. I'm sure they were good too. But the thing is, again, it has to come from experience. And in that sense, I wish I had waited a bit myself. So lessons mm -hmm. learned to, to, to teach better. And I think now I'll be much more fit to teach than when I started 
a decade plus ago. Yeah, I think the experiences just make that learning experience for the students much more richer because exactly. we're able to bring, we tie in it's, the it's theory not about with the us, practice. It's about them, right. correct? Exactly. When we think about the, those students, those colleagues, our future colleagues, so that's the thing too, who do we want to work with? That's right. And, and when we think about those families that we help in the education sector, when we think about the patients that we help, I mean, not to mention people who can potentially lose their freedoms or their lives in, in, the, in the legal. So, and in my case, at an international conference level, I am talking about and I'm interpreting on issues that affect millions of people at the same time. Mm. And I came to realize that afterwards and the, the heavy weight that I feel on my shoulders, the responsibility that I feel at being as, as professional, as accurate as possible emanates from that too, from that level of responsibility that, that we should have, doesn't matter where in interpreting um, profession we are in. That's right. Speaking of international conferences, you had a peak moment in your career you had shared with me off camera uh, with regards to an interpreting assignment. <laughs> Would you share that with us, what that was? Yes. Um, this year, a few months ago, I was able to, well, I was um, hired to interpret at the um, Summit of the Americas. So that was the, the meeting of presidents of um, all the different presidents, uh, well, all the different presidents of the Americas, North, Central, South. And um, I was um, hired through the Ecuadorian presidency to work well to interpret at any meeting that he was present so conference style um bilateral multilateral negotiations talks and and that includes of course with non-spanish-speaking presidents um such as president biden president trudeau president uh, of of many um north well this Caribbean uh, countries, and it was a fantastic experience. I got to learn a lot, which is once again, it's top three. And what I love the most about this profession, the information you get to amass, and 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 to also because information per se, it's just of no use, right? If you do, if you don't do anything with it, but how you're able to to bring it to other assignments, bring it to share it with your students, share it with your children. Yeah. Um, it's it's second to none. What were your thoughts so, as you are? Did, were you back in that same assignment, walking into the doctor's office with that yeah. same amount of nerves, or what were your thoughts this time around? Well, the nerves were not the same, in the sense that I have been interpreting for high level um, meetings for several several years now. Now, the big difference is that within the UN and framework and, and, and the meetings that I tended to do were in a booth, right? Or in a larger room with more people. But here, I guess one of the bigger differences was being in small settings or being five people in a room 
with these three world leaders, uh, three presidents, and being right there or, or like standing in the middle of these two heads of state. So in that sense, the 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 responsibility definitely definitely was was huge, and I kept telling myself, "You, I mean, this is it's communication. You have done that, that, that. You can do this." And definitely, I had to to pep talk myself into into relaxing. It was it was no easy feat. Nevertheless, the payoff was fantastic. And just very quickly, on the last day when I was done, because it was very tense, right? I mean, it was like, like very suddenly, um, you have to go over here. And then there was a, the the U.S. Uh, Department of State meeting with whoever. So you're talking talking about um, securing the hemisphere, and then um, agriculture with the U.S. AID, USAID. And with these companies and, and again, multinationals, it, I didn't know what was going to come next. So in that sense, it was, it was you know, so that you can imagine the tension that, that that may create. But the last day, I guess the, the cherry on top is that I was asked right about the time that I was about to go home. I was very ready. So Friday, 3, 4 p.m., I'm like, okay. I'll be able to breathe, you know, free in no time. Almost there, almost there. Almost there. <laughs> when I um I get this message, last minute meeting at the Palladium in Hollywood. I don't know if you've been there. I had never been there. This is classic uh, place. It's just very famous, you know, for um anyhow, it's a meeting point of, of actors, actresses, and again, I don't know much about it. I just know it was famous, and 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 I could see it. It has been there for a long time. So we went to a back room because I was told that the meeting was going to be with former President Clinton, Bill Clinton. And in there, <laughs> so yes, it was President Clinton, President Lasso from Ecuador, um, a some major investor, and Bo Derek. You're probably too young to know who Bo Derek is. But she was uh, the 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 ten. I mean, number ten. She was a um, famous actress in the eighties. I used to be in love with her. I was young and <laughs> and innocent. Uh, she was a very good looking, and and they sold her as a perfect woman. So and uh, but anyhow, it's just like Bo Derek. So I was interpreting for her, and then Sharon Stone walks into the room. I'm like, all right, shoot me. You Wait know? a minute. <laughs> Someone pinch me. What is happening? Right, right, right. Like, like, what's going on? So here I am interpreting for all of them at once. So it was out of this world. And those experiences are the ones that I hope I get to tell my grandchildren. My my sons decide to have kids. Your students, too. I think that those are the amazing stories that, you know, that that you can only experience being out there and and practicing, right, what you preach. I, I. Absolutely love the this conversation, Daniel, with you know the topic of of connecting our interests and our likes and how they can absolutely somehow um manifest uh you know in in our profession, particularly I think in with interpreting if we have strong 
um, interests in a topic that we're able to even specialize in the interests that we like and continue learning. Uh, as we get to the close of today's episode, I'd like, I have a couple more questions for you. And uh, one of them being, if you could change anything in our industry, the language industry, in in any in any area, what would that be? Mm-hmm. I already mentioned the, or we kind of mentioned the professionalization of comics. So the more professionals we become, the better we'll be treated, and the and the better our profession will be treated as a whole by other professionals, by governments, by whoever makes a decision on our well-being and the well-being of the people that we help. So a change would be improving the participation of colleagues in decision-making spaces, in our organizations, in councils that decide, like I just mentioned, about the future of our profession. So colleagues that have made it to those spaces oftentimes forget what it meant to be a colleague and what it meant to be a, a professional, someone who was day in, day out, coming in, you know, filling in spaces, going to assignments and so forth, and they decided to be more corporate, more institutional. And again, they seem to owe themselves more to the institution than to the profession. So, so colleagues who are in those spaces, if they could remember that, yes, a computer can replace part of what we do, but that is our choice how that happens. And it is our choice, the quality that we expect from a product. And that technology is there to help us, but no technology should replace us. Again, it might replace some tasks that we do. Right. But the actual communication, the well, the way we do it, the face-to-face, and face-to-face will always be better than any one platform that does it automatically. The artificial intelligence has its space. And again, it will come in, yes, but we don't need to welcome it with open arms. If you could recommend anything to the next generation of language professionals, what would that be? Now that you've had this experience in in all kinds of different experiences in the business aspect of interpreting and the education component and being a student and practicing, out of all those experiences that you've had, what could you utilize to give now to others to help them in their journeys? Two things come to mind. First one, know yourself. And if you know yourself, then do it for the right reason. So who are you? Who are we? What makes us want to wake up in the morning? Uh, What makes us want to stop working and actually do something because we believe in it? So to know that that the world of interpreting and translating, particularly interpreting, but also we can extrapolate it to translating a written work that is right, um, allows us to help others, allows us to make a living out of something nice, which is communicating people that otherwise wouldn't communicate. Once we see it that way, we're going to be able to sleep well, you know, well at night, better at night. And anything that makes us connect 
with ourselves, we will do better. So naturally, we will improve. We will become better at what we do. And the minute we do that, the world will know it and jobs will open up. I mean, it'll take time. And for some of us, we'll take more than others, right? Based on what we have done so far. But if we put the time in, if we do it right, this could be fantastic. It has been for me. I'm not done by, by any means. And, and I, I, this is never ending because knowledge is infinite. So that's that's one. And, and, and helping, the need is there. There's always a need. There's always an organization that we can help. So it's never ending. Therefore, it's up to us to decide to do it right or for the right reason. Very well said. Thank you so much for sharing. Daniela, it has been an extraordinary and just rich conversation. I very much appreciate you and your time and your willingness to come on this platform to share your story for others in the industry. Is there anything else that you would like to mention before we conclude today's episode? I'd like to thank you, Mireya, for creating this space. Um, I had seen, um, again, other I remember when you started and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's really nice. And and I didn't know how far you, you were going to go with it. And I'm so glad that you have continued growing and professionalizing, professionalizing it. So thank you. And, and that is it. And again, to colleagues, um, this is a fantastic profession. Uh, it's really nice. It's fulfilling. Um, you can only grow because you can, you can always expand. Um, you can translate, you can teach. Um, there are many different things, different areas of knowledge. You want to transfer to something different. If you like to reinvent the wheel, you know, you're always welcome to. You're never too old, which is something that that I've had students that come in and they sit in a classroom and they tell me, oh, how am I going to do this? Uh, I'm going to be competing with these kids that are fresh out of college. And they're, I'm like, you know what? What have you been doing the last 10, 20, 30 years? Well, I was managing this, this or that. I was doing... You know, you have been doing somewhere. And I'm just going to close by saying that um, I, I have joked about this, that if you have gotten divorced and have gotten hurt in the job, you know, you, you're going <laughs> to much more likely to become a good interpreter because you're going to know the legal system, for example. So <laughs> we have a lot more. <laughs> we have a lot more experience than we think. We tend to underestimate ourselves. Yes, even that can become a specialty. <laughs> even that can become a specialty. I know at least of one colleague that meets both <laughs> criteria. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, and she's an excellent interpreter. She had the terminology and she's bilingual. Exactly. So. And passion. <laughs> and passion, of course. She has something to say, right? Thank you. <laughs> Mireya, my pleasure. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the very end. If you'd like to connect with me, head on over to the website, brandtheinterpreter.com and click on the connect with me tab. You can also stay connected on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube as Brand the Interpreter or Mireya Perez on LinkedIn. Till next time.